Once again, tonight I greet you in Jesus' name and tell you the same thing I told you last night. It is a privilege for me to be with you and to spend some time looking into God's Word and what it has to say to us. Now let me expound on that just a bit because last night I made a similar statement and didn't say anything more about that. But I say that tonight for uh, maybe more than just this reason, but certainly for this reason. It's a privilege for me to be here and to uh, share with you simply because I can see and sense and hear your own hunger to grow in the Lord Jesus Christ. Your own desire to have uh, your roots go down deeper into the soil of God's love and to respond better, uh, more biblically, more Christ-like to who He is. That, that's a precious, precious thing. That, that's what makes it uh, a, a valuable thing for me and a privilege for me to come and to share and to continue to speak. So thank you. You know, uh, just as a, as a quick thank you, a testimony, a quick thank you to you all, or to some of you at least, certainly uh, specifically, directly, uh, but also just an acknowledgement. This is exactly what we're talking about because it points to the glory and the power and the majesty and the all-sufficiency uh, of God himself. Uh, when we came tonight, I, I, we, I went to the prayer room back there like we have the other nights, and uh, I had debated to specifically ask prayer from those that were gathered or praying because I just, I felt a little bit like, well, I'll just be honest. Uh, when I sat down today at the desk, uh, and it's always, I mean, just like this to some degree, but you know, sometimes you sit, I sit down and, and, and I have the Word of God open and I'm preparing, I know kind of where I want to go, and it's sort of all just like, like, fits together. It just sort of all falls together, and, and those are really fun times. And sometimes you sit there, and, and it just seems like I have all these things I want to say, but I'm not sure what order they should come in. Or I'm not sure how they tie together. I'm not sure if it's going to make sense, and, it, and it, doesn't, it doesn't go like that. And when that happens, then I come here, and I come up here, and, and it leaves me feeling pretty scattered and vulnerable, because I'm not sure how it's all going to come out or whether it's going to come out at all in any way that makes sense. So I was thinking of asking prayer for uh, specifically just, to, just and in fact, I was like, maybe I should just ask my brothers and sisters who are praying to just gather around me tonight and, and pray for me. And I didn't. We, were, we sat down and we prayed. And, and I marvel because several of you who were in that room specifically prayed some things. You had no idea, I don't think, but specifically prayed some things for me, repeatedly prayed for me, and specifically prayed some things for me uh, that were some of the very things that I was worried about or concerned about or, or unsure of. So thank you for being willing to listen to the Holy Spirit. And again, I think it only makes, it makes the point of what we're talking about. Because how did you know that? Well, you didn't know that. But God does know that. God knows my need, and God can speak through you when you have no idea that God is even using you. So thank you for being willing to be a vessel, and thank you uh, for uh, exalting and giving glory to God by obeying Him, by just responding to uh, being led in prayer through Him. Open your Bibles again. We're going to jump back into Philippians chapter 2. We're reading through that. Again, we have not walked, and we will actually not at all at any time, walk through verse by verse. But by the end of this, we hopefully will have covered a lot of these verses. But I want to just have them in our heads because I think it's a defining passage for us that, that helps us to see uh, the, the, the position that we should have. So we're going to hear these words again. Maybe even by God's grace when we get done with five sermons in a row where you've heard the exact same text, maybe it'll stick in our heads and it'll be something that comes out and, and, and comes into our head at various times in our daily life. 
Paul wrote this, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do, excuse me, do nothing, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And the verse you've heard more than even just five times. Have this mind among yourselves. Church, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. And... Verse 8 goes on, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Lord Jesus, you are King of kings, Lord of lords. You are the Word of God, the living Word of God. Thank you that you've preserved the written Word of God for us in such a way that proclaims to us, that declares to us, that makes clear to us that you, the Word of God, came and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This was a great act of humility, Jesus, as we have been uncovering and digging into and, and, and sort of coming from different directions, Father, the subject of humility in our own hearts, I continue, we continue to beg of you to reveal Jesus more clearly to us, his beauty and his majesty, or perhaps more fitting in the words of Isaiah, who talked about the suffering servant, recognizing that he had no beauty or majesty that would attract us to him, for he laid himself down. He became nothing. He became despised and rejected. Men counted him as accursed of you, God. And we, and we here today, want to not just flippantly say, that was amazing, Jesus. We want to allow you to lead us down the same path. Would you do so tonight? By your Holy Spirit, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I subtitled my message tonight, True Holiness. I want to talk about the intersection or the, the, the coupling together, as I've done with a few other sort of key Christian kind of words. Last night, we spent some time with faith in this regard. But I want to spend time uh, coupling together or leading us to understand what holiness really is about and how it is, is connected inseparably from humility, this topic of humility. As you said, Ernie, and I made a similar comment, I think, last night. When you start thinking about this, there is practically no place in the Scriptures you can go where you will not begin to see humility coming forth from those words. It may not use those specific words, but the emphasis or the subject or what is being taught to us is the, the play of either humility or the opposite of it and pride as it rears its ugly head in, in, in us and as humans so often. Last night I began with a question. Do you remember what that question was? Do you believe this? Tonight, I begin again with a question because I have been proposing to you that we are to have the mind of Jesus Christ 
And as we talked about it sort of theoretically or laid the foundation for it on Sunday, last night we were, we were brought right to, the, to the, the precipice of saying, this must make a difference in our daily life. And I encourage you by the end to say these words, let me turn this thing on, these words were what should guide our lives. That in humility, we should count others more significant than ourselves. We shouldn't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. And it comes with an acknowledgement. I hope it comes with an acknowledgement. Are you willing to acknowledge? That's pretty difficult to do with the people I live with. I'm willing to acknowledge that. Are you willing to acknowledge? Are you willing to look around and some of it may be a family member, some of it may be a coworker, some of it may be church people that are sitting here in this room with you and to say, this can get pretty difficult. This is a hard teaching. This holds our toes to the fire. You know, Jesus, when he walked around, one day as he began to teach, he began to talk about some crazy things like you have to eat his flesh and you have to drink his blood. And the Gospel of John, the, John says this was a hard teaching for many people. And in fact, many people didn't like what Jesus taught. And they said, this is too difficult. And they began to walk away. They began to leave. And Jesus, it says in John chapter 6, Jesus turned to his 12 disciples. And there's the question that I'm going to bring to you tonight. Because he looked at them and he said, do you want to go away as well? It's a similar question to last night, but I think it's a pertinent question to tonight. Because last night, I, I, my endeavor, my goal, my aim, hopefully according to the Holy Spirit, by God's grace, we came to a place where we said we are to be humble in our daily life, in our interactions with our family members, and that can be hard to serve them and to submit to them and to honor them and to, uh, to uh, uh, count them as more significant, to put them first. That can be hard. It's a hard teaching. So it's okay for me to ask bluntly to you tonight, do you want to go away as well? Is that too much? Is that too hard to follow? I've been in church long enough, and I've certainly been in these kinds of churches long enough to know that it's highly, highly unlikely that anyone is going to stand up at this moment and walk out. So I don't really mean that question like, are you going to get up and walk out? But I mean in here, are you going to check out? Are you going to say this is asking too much of me? Or by God's grace, will you respond to Jesus asking you that question tonight with the same thing the disciples said to him? Because they said, Lord, whom shall we go? We have nowhere else to go. I have no other option. There's no other avenue. You, Jesus, have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of Israel. Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One of Israel, the Holy One. You see, the reality is, we're going to have to actually go a step backward from last night. 
I know it's kind of not fair. I started us off here and said I, we should be here, and now we're going to kind of work our way backward. But I think it's the only way we really can do it because otherwise, we're, otherwise it, it, I don't think it's going to work. So we have to take a step backward because the reality is if you and I want to maintain that we are going to dig into this humility thing, we're going to follow this path of humility, and we're going to learn how to serve and honor and love each other and submit to each other and do all those things that we talked about that we should do because of humility, we have to recognize that that is not going to just happen externally. That requires some kind of difference in here. And I would submit to you, that's what the word holiness really is trying to get at. To be set apart from God, to be right, to be blameless and pure. It, it, it's from the inside out of here because it's not going to work the other way around. We're not going to look at each other and be like, I'm going to try really hard, even though you did something you shouldn't, to submit to you. And I'm going to force myself. I'm going to bring myself to do it. We have to recognize that it requires a holiness change inside of us. Again, I, the other language I used, the, first, the very first sermon, I think, or the second sermon I did, was that there's the seed root change that has to happen, right? Away from the, the seed of Adam to the seed of Christ. If Jesus is the Holy One of God that has the words of life and we really have nowhere else to go, then we really only have one option. Keep going down the journey of humility to find the true source of holiness. That's what I'd like to explore tonight. So we're going to do some teaching, some, some moving through of holiness. I put this quote up here to just kind of like make, have us turn the corner to talk about holiness and see all the places we see humility. Andrew Murray says in the book that several of you picked up from me, I think I need to order a few more copies because I think I'm all out at this point, but I'll be glad to do so. So keep, if you want a copy, let me know. I'd be glad to keep buying copies. It's totally worth it. He says, hum humility is the bloom and the beauty of holiness. Humility is the bloom and the beauty of holiness. So let's jump in because we don't have, we, time is already moving by very quickly. So I'm going to talk about holiness, and I want to start with this. What I believe, according to Scripture, is the catalyst for these kinds of things to take place. That catalyst is the presence of God. The presence of God. When you begin to track in Scriptures the times that people change, the times that people realize who they are, and the times that people realize what God wants of them, and the times that they respond to that call, you will inevitably see the presence of God there. I don't think you can see it any other way. I don't think anything else is an option. There's a burning bush, and Moses doesn't know what to do, and he's called, right? There's a voice calling people. There, Abram, Abram, right? There's Jonah, who ran away, but still had to come to the presence of God before he realized. There's all kinds of things. There's Paul who had a, uh, Saul who had a, an encounter with the living Jesus on the road to Damascus. We could go on and on. But those are individual kind of cases. When you look at any kind of corporate revival scenarios, it's the same thing. The mountain trembled and fire came forth and it rumbled and God spoke and gave the commands to the children of Israel and people shook in their boots. In fact, many of them hid and they said, we can't handle this. Moses, you go talk to God. We can't handle this. But the same is true on Pentecost, right? Because the Holy Spirit, the presence of God came, and suddenly it ignited uh, what, had, what had been uh, men who were, who were hiding in an upper room, waiting, admittedly waiting, but were, were not sure what to do, I don't think. And it changed the course of human history with the birth of the church. Some also did not understand that, right? Because they said, these guys are drunk. 
The presence of God. Now, let's, I want to turn to, uh, tonight to start us off with, uh, with a, just a classic story of the presence of God and the result that comes out of that. And that's from Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah chapter 6, if you turn there, I'm going to read some verses to you and just help us see what happened. Uh, Isaiah says this in chapter 6, verse 1. He says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each of the seraphim had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a un- man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. We could continue reading, but I only want to take us to this passage because it's one of the clearest places where we see that the catalyst that drives holiness, and we're going to see how humility is, is popping up everywhere, but the catalyst that drives holiness is the presence of God. When we come into God's presence, that's what changes us and what brings holiness about in our lives. It's not manufactured by us. It's not when we go through certain functions or certain steps of things, like we check off and say, well, first I I cleared my mind, and second I sang this song, and third I said this prayer, and fourth I read this passage, and fifth I became holy. It doesn't work like that. In fact, you can do all those steps and not be affected one bit. You can do none of those steps, and if God shows up, you're going to change. It's what's going to happen inside of you, because you're going to see God as Isaiah did. You're going to see his majesty and his holiness. You're going to recognize beyond a shadow of a doubt the questions that Ernie pointed out to us are clearly answerable and so applicable because they help us see how majestic and huge and, and, and gigantic and sovereign and amazing and all-powerful and, and just bigger than we can even conceptualize God is. And of course, in turn, what happens? When I begin to realize how big God is, I also begin to realize how small I am. So the catalyst is the presence of God. It's why it should always be a prayer on our lips, always be the cry of our hearts, that when we want to gather certainly corporately, it can happen outside of this too, but when we want to gather corporately, we must cry out for the presence of God. Otherwise, we meet to no avail. As I pointed out already, we just tend to keep moving here. If the catalyst is the presence of God, the response that comes out of that is an awareness of our sin. Isaiah cried out right away, woe is me. I'm undone, he says. I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people that have unclean lips. There's, it's all over for me. I am sinful. I am a wreck. I'm a filthy rag. All those are things of filthy rag certainly is a phrase used here in the scriptures. I'm undone. I've come to the end. I've seen God and he's holy. 
and I've realized how sinful I am. You see, I've made it a great point, I think, through this series so far to help us see that there are, there are more reasons than just our sinfulness asking us to be humble. That kind of came out weird and hopefully it made sense to you. It's not just because of our sinfulness that we, that we need to be humble. But having said that, I don't want to move away from that because this is part of the equation. It still is true, right? There's an immediate, immediate humility that comes out of us when we come into God's presence and we realize His perfection and our giant imperfection. I'm undone. I carry sin. I'm in this body and I have these attitudes and these thoughts and these actions and the stuff that comes out of me that as soon as I am in the presence of God, I realize, oh, oh I need help. Oh, I am lost. Oh, I, I need something. Paul himself wrote these words in 1 Timothy 1.15. He said, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. I'm the worst of those. Now, I don't think for a second Paul was saying that he's continuing to live in sin. In fact, he's very clear about that, that it's not the case for him, that the grace of God has transformed him into whole, a holy person. He's not, do you notice, by the way, none of his writings says he confessed to sin. In fact, he actually does some of the opposite. He makes, great, he, he makes some pretty long paragraphs maintaining how he's operated correctly. He's clearly referring back to who he was before he met Jesus. But it doesn't change the fact that as soon as he met Jesus, he realized I am the foremost of all sinners. I'm telling you, this is a, this is a critical piece for us. And I, I, I got to be careful to, to like, I, I don't want to draw a line and be like, if this isn't true, then like, you know, all hope is lost kind of thing. But when we come into God's presence, and if that's not the result for us, that we see that we are the chief antagonist against Jesus Christ, and we're still thinking about other people's sinfulness, I think we have missed we have not truly allowed the presence of God to come in. In Romans, Paul echoed the similar thinking. He said, I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. If I would translate it for you tonight in the context of the sermon tonight, it would be Paul saying, I want to be holy, but I struggle with being there all the time. Clearly, Paul wrote lots of things, and we're gonna, we're, I'm pulling things back in from other places that we've had and, and hoping that you'll remember some things that we've talked about before. But when we are in the presence of God, it makes us aware of our sinfulness, which brings humility about in us, because we recognize, I need some serious help. Thankfully, we can continue the story and recognize that God has done something about that. In the story with Isaiah, in the presence of God, even there God did something about it right away, right? Because one of, the, one of the angels flew from God and came with a burning coal and touched his lips and said, now you are clean. Your sin has been atoned for. He didn't say, no, you're not sinful. He said, your sin has been atoned for. Excuse me. Again, Paul picks up on this theme. Let me just read two verses for you. I put one up on the screen, but I should read both of them, so let me flip in my Bible there real quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 
picking up the same theme, Paul says, oh, that's not the right reference. 1 Corinthians 15, 9 and 10. Paul says, for I am the least of all the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. So there's the, there's, the, uh, uh, there's, the, there's the connection back to what we just talked about. But he goes on to say in the next verse, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. You see, when our sinfulness comes in view, then what follows on the heels of that when we are in God's presence is his grace comes into view. His incredible, amazing all-powerful grace that works in us so effectively. Niall read these words last night for us. I'm going to read them again for you tonight because I love them and they happen to fit in. Titus chapter 2 says in verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared. The grace of God has appeared and it brings salvation for all people and it trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The grace of God has appeared. You see, I think we will find it when we walk down this path of humility. I think we will find that yes, a recalling of our sin does bring humility. But the answer is not to simply dwell on our sinfulness then, to continue to think about our sinfulness. Again, I, I, pres- I, 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 I present to you or I, I, I suggest to you that when you spend time thinking about your sin, you're thinking about yourself, which is the opposite of humility. So that's not it. It will help us. It, it, it's sort of the, it starts us down that road. But what really brings about humility is then when, when we then see the grace of God in light of our sinfulness. You see, that, step, that first step is important. We have to recognize our sinfulness so that the grace that God has poured out in our lives has its full meaning. We understand, I am lost. I am helpless. I am a mess. But... God's grace has entered in any way, has brought salvation. And not just salvation, but God's grace, and this is where we're going to start moving towards what we think of as holiness, God's grace is also training us. And it's also helping us to say no to ungodliness. It's helping us to say no to selfishness. It's helping us to say no to pride, because that's what's behind all those things. And it's helping us to live godly, upright lives right now in the present age. You see, one of the things I love about that verse, one of the reasons I love Titus 2, verse 11 uh, and 12 there, is because it does not matter at what stage, at what generation, at what age in all of history that that verse is read, it's always applicable to right then. Because the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write that we live, the grace of God has appeared, it's training us to renounce ungodliness, live godly, upright lives in the age right now, in the present age, wherever you find yourself. So we cannot ever say, well, if we had would have lived back then, if we would have lived in the 1940s in the United States, then I could have lived a godly life because then all those people around me would have helped me. Might be true that a broader cultural uh, presence was here of living biblically. However, the grace of God is such that you can live a godly upright life right now, right here. In fact, it's what God wants you to do. 
He wants you to come into his presence so you'll become aware of how sinful you are so that he can demonstrate and show you and reveal to you how amazing his grace is that has rescued you from that sin so that you can not just receive salvation in Jesus' name, but walk out a godly lifestyle in his presence. Reflecting him. Letting him be preeminent. Letting him be at the forefront. Letting him be in you, you're living, you're moving, and you're being. Your grace, your grace, God's grace, I should say, is what, what drives us to that deeper humility. So we're going to see the end result of all those things is what I would call true holiness. Not a manufactured, not a man-made, not a self-effort but true holiness, a true recognition. You, you can't end anywhere else because if you've really acknowledged or recognized your sin and then recognized the grace of God that is active in your life and focused on that grace and focused on what Jesus is doing in your life and how he's helping you live it as a new creation, then he's gonna get all the glory. There's no way that, it, that, that it's any self, self-made thing. The result is true holiness. Now, I actually stopped reading in Titus chapter two Uh, I read verses 11, 12, and 13. I did not read verse 14. The finishing of those verses is actually one complete sentence there. The finishing of those verses is that Jesus, we're waiting for him to return. It was Jesus who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself. That's a holiness word. To purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. That is the description of what holiness looks like in our lives. Purified, possessed of Jesus, his possession, zealous for good works. Now, I'd like to spend some time reading a couple of passages of Scripture. I'm going to make an effort not to make a lot of comments about them. Again, it is my belief that the Word of God is powerful enough that I don't need to make commentary on them for it to have a full effect in your hearts. After all, your attention should be focused on the Lord and not on me. So a couple of passages that I think fit in around this theme of a holiness that comes out of being in the presence of God, being aware of our sinfulness, but then becoming aware of God's amazing grace that moves us past and beyond that to live upright, godly lives right now so that we can have true holiness. First passage I'm going to read, and I'm going to tell you the references because there are passages that you can follow along. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, let me just flip there. Paul talks about the temple of the living God and that we are that temple, that we are that dwelling place for God. And he goes about it this way. I'm going to start reading in chapter 6, verse 14. He says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you and I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. And then we get a chapter break in our English Bibles, but the very next thing that Paul writes is this sentence right here. Since we have these promises, beloved, 
These promises right here that God says, I will make my dwelling among them. I will come and live among them if they will separate themselves, if they will not have fellowship, if they will recognize they will be set apart, if they will, if they will desire to participate in holiness. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. I present to you again the intersection of that word holiness and humility. As we cleanse ourselves from every defilement and body, of body and spirit, we do so, we're bringing holiness to completion, and it's in the fear of God. That's a humility word. It's a recognition that I am not doing this at all. Now, I wish... We, we, do, we, we will not have time. I wish I could preach tomorrow night's sermon now. Because they go together. Because there's some things that I have to say tomorrow night and that we have to, have to wrestle with tomorrow night that are necessary to complete tonight. So we're just, I, I'm just, I and we together, we're just going to have to trust that what God is setting here tonight, on the table for us, so to speak, that we'll, that we'll get to eat from tomorrow night. Let me read the next passage to you, which is even more jumping into things that we need to get to, but we won't tonight. Romans 8. Romans chapter 8. I want to read the first 11 verses of Romans chapter 8. Paul says these wonderful words. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Look at this wonderful verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. That is true holiness. The law of the spirit, the Holy Spirit, has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And he goes on to say, For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. We could never do. We can't manufacture. We can't bring it about. God has done it. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. You see why we can't just keep dwelling on our sinfulness. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit, that's a humility word, it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Again, I, maybe I should change course to what, what, where I think the Lord wants, wants to yet say to us tonight. So I, I beg of you to, to, to just contemplate these verses and allow the Holy Spirit to fill in gaps that I'm not going to be able to say here tonight. But we have to put together what happened, what we talked about on Sunday night with the, with the reception of the gospel, of the redemption of Jesus Christ, the path of humility that Jesus walked, and the rooting out of the seed of pride and the planting of the seed of humility 
When that happens, the Holy Spirit takes up residence. And these things we're talking about here in first, um, second, second Corinthians chapter 6 and Romans chapter 8, then they take place. The verses I read to you just now, then they take place. It is in those kinds of contexts that I, what I just described to you tonight is a process, the catalyst, the presence of God, and the, 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 the result of that is the awareness of our sin. And the rescue from that is God's amazing grace through Jesus Christ. And the result of that, which is true holiness, or the outcome of that, which is true holiness, I just walk through that. That's... This is what happens because when we do that and really understand that, we will say, Jesus, I have no other place to go than you. I have no other place to go than you. If I don't have you, all is lost. In fact, I don't want anything but you. I don't even want myself because you and I must, if we haven't already come to this realization, we must understand and realize that this right here, me, I, am the biggest obstacle to Jesus taking residence in me, to God's Holy Spirit working powerfully in me, to true holiness having an effect in me. Me. I have to get me off the throne so that Jesus can be there. Then these things become true. But I want to say one more thing tonight, and again, I've Lord, I'll just trust that you can do what you, what you, what you will do because I, we have to get to one more thing. Jesus told a parable that I think is really, really pertinent in this discussion tonight about holiness and about humility. The parable is found in Luke chapter 18. I'd like to read it for you. Luke chapter 18. Jesus said this. It says, he, told, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like the other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Here's a Pharisee who has access to every part of the temple, with exception, of course, the Holy of Holies. He's not allowed to go in there. By virtue of his status, by virtue of who he is, by virtue of what he has, said, what he has done, like, like, like the, the status that's accorded to him, he walks into the presence of God. And we have a very sinful man that comes into the presence of God. You see, this is the same story we had in Isaiah, only different characters, different players. Because the question that's going to be asked of us, the question I'd like to propose or ask of you is, are we the Pharisee or the tax collector? When we come into the presence of God, are we the Pharisee or the tax collector? Do we walk in as if we have every right to be there? Now, you can take these verses a couple different ways, by the way. 
depending on what translation you're reading, it says that the Pharisee was praying to himself, which I don't think is probably entirely incorrect. But regardless, it's abundantly clear that Jesus makes it obvious that though he thought he was righteous, that though he thought he had some kind of holiness and was right with God, he lacked something very important. And it's the very thing we've been talking about this entire series. He lacked humility. He looked around and said, can you imagine? Look what he said. Can you imagine thanking God? I thank you, God, that I'm not like those other people. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I'm talking to a room full of people who are at church on a Tuesday night. By this story, which we all know, we've read, probably heard before, by this story, Jesus has made it abundantly clear how awful, awfully proud and arrogant that Pharisee was. So we have learned to come as the tax collector. Meaning we have learned to at least outwardly make us appear like the tax collector. Where we say, oh, woe is me. I'm a sinner. But my question is, which person's actually on the inside? Because most of us have learned that we can't really go around and out loud say, ha, I'm glad I'm not like that guy. Because that's inappropriate. That's rude. We put filters in place. But tell me honestly, have you ever thought that? Have you ever thought to yourself, man, I'm glad I'm not a mess like that. Have you ever thought to yourself, I don't know why that people, person just can't get it together. Have you ever thought to yourself, it's entirely his fault for the place he's in. I submit to you, it's not the Pharisees out there that we need to be worried about. It's the Pharisee in here that we need to be worried about. Maybe tonight is a night for you to allow the Holy Spirit to be completely, have free reign in your heart and to root out what you can hide pretty well to people around you, but you can't hide from God. I ask you, when you come into the presence of God, when you walk here into this room to worship with fellow believers, who is coming, a Pharisee or a tax collector? And if the answer is anything but the humility of that tax collector, then tonight it should change. Tonight should be the night that you repent of that and say, God, I want to really come into your presence and recognize how sinful I am. I can't even lift up my eyes to you. I can't raise myself even a bit. I have to do nothing but become nothing in front of you. 
so that I can fully appreciate the grace that you've given to me, God. The grace that enables me to actually be in your presence. Thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ. And when I begin to think and dwell upon the incredible grace that you've given to me, God, then there is no room for any other thoughts about exalting myself or about anybody else, quite frankly, because the only thing I have in mind, Jesus, is you and me. The only thing that, 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 that I'm looking to or thinking of, God, is you and me and how, how, how arrogant and prideful I still am inside and how amazing your grace is and how I want that to change tonight, here, right now. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Perhaps in some way tonight, brothers and sisters, perhaps in some way tonight, this should be your prayer. Maybe you need to personalize it. Maybe it simply needs to be that. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Until you become convinced of your sinfulness, and then even more convinced of the grace of Jesus Christ, which has appeared to all mankind, bringing salvation to all of us and training us to live godly, upright lives, renouncing ungodliness and underhanded ways, deceitful, conceited, proud, arrogant ways, while we wait for Jesus to appear. Please understand I have my eyes closed. I don't know if you do or not, but please understand as we're in prayer tonight, brothers and sisters, it is not to me that you have to answer to. It is not to anybody else in this room that you have to answer to. It is simply to your creator, the one who redeemed you through Jesus Christ, the one who, even as he redeems you, wants to form you into the character of his own son as he was here on earth. Humble, meek, lowly in heart, equipped as a vessel to be filled with all the fullness of God, that you may live a pleasing life to him, that you may point others to him, that he may receive all the glory. Is that true for you tonight? If it's not true for you, will you change it tonight? Will you sink to your knees and cry out to the God in heaven and say, be merciful to me, I'm a sinner. Change me by your grace. Fill me with your spirit. Heavenly Father, for any hearts who are bowed before you tonight, for any knees that are bowed before the King of kings and Lord of lords, the name that is above every name, for every heart and knee that is bowed before you tonight, that is just afresh in recognizing uh, what a sinner they are, but also how amazing your grace is and what your grace wants to do in their life and wants to enter into that and walk that path of humility of making themselves nothing so that they might be a fitting container vessel for you to be everything in them. Father, for any of those, I pray that your grace would come and would begin to work true holiness or continue the work of true holiness, whatever the case may be. 
to root out that pride that they've confessed and acknowledged tonight, to root out that independence that they have yet carried around, that, that contempt for others around them, perhaps, whatever it may be. Would you work true holiness in us? This is not something we can do. It is something you do, God. Jesus, we take you at your word. At the end of that parable we just read, you said, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So I pray tonight that among us here are those willing servant hearts that say, I want to be humbled. I pray that you would hold us tonight, that you would keep us, that you'd help us to come back tomorrow night ready to, to finish the work that you are starting. Maybe you've already finished it now. I don't, that's up to you. That's not my call. It was just a word I used. But, but to, to allow us to, 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 to continue down this road and this discussion that we've been having. We give you praise and glory. Oh, we can't do anything else, God. We can't do anything else. Everything is from you. We give you praise. We worship you. We are delighted to serve you. And in, in turn, we are delighted to recognize that we can, we can demonstrate our service to you by serving those around us. It is our joy. It is our joy to, to be used by you. Thank you. I pray this in Jesus' name.